Greetings and welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. Joining us on this episode are two guests from Carilion Clinic, Tammy Mitchell, who is the nursing unit director for what's known as the Hope Floor at Carilion Roanoke Memorial Hospital, and Aaron Casey, who leads the Peer Recovery Specialist Support Program at Carilion. With these two ladies, we're going to chat about a successful approach on a hospital unit at Carilion that's helping patients struggling with addiction issues and helping improve staff retention and satisfaction. Before we get to that, though, let's welcome our guests to the program. Thanks to both of you for being with us today. Glad to be here. Happy to be here. And we're happy to have you as well. Let's start with you, Tammy. The Hope Floor is a unit at Carilion Roanoke Memorial on 5 West. A few years ago, it experienced some challenges managing patients, many of them uh, from disadvantaged backgrounds, who were admitted for treatment of a medical issue that perhaps was inflamed by underlying and often habitual addiction and substance abuse. These conditions, combined with some visitation policies and other factors, created a a difficult environment for patients on the pathway to recovery and staff overseeing their care. As I understand it, to address that, some new protocols have been established to help these patients get on the road to recovery. So, Tammy, if you would, just sort of please share your insights and, and some of the background about life on the Hope Floor and how where things were and how they've changed for the better. Sure. We have 26 beds, and we do have some minor surgical stuff, but mostly medical We were seeing a lot, a big trend of patients with IV drug abuse and they were hostile and angry and demanding and non-compliant and we hadn't been trained in that. And, you know, we were just your regular run-of-the-mill med surge nurses, which, you know, we we do a little bit of everything, but we weren't uh, too familiar with behavioral health stuff. And it was frustrating for the staff because they felt like, well, they're here, a captive audience for six weeks because of the long-term antibiotics, but we're not doing anything to help them with the behavioral part of their treatment. So um, we just we started to do some self-imposed like rules and things to see if we could get a, a better handle on basically the abuses that were taking place and um, weren't having much headway. The staff was starting to turn over. Some of my staff had been with me for 20 years at a different facility, and they came here when I came here. So it was it was frustrating, real frustrating. We started to learn a little bit more. We had some educational things, and we had a lot of support from administration. There were some security issues that needed to be dealt with. And after we started implementing some of the safety measures with visiting hours and visiting visitors' belongings and things, the staff started to feel a little bit safer, and they felt like they had a little bit more control. So that was sort of the beginning of what we tried, and we've, you know, we're still trying to patch it up from what we learned with each patient. And the, the name, The Hope Floor, how did, how did that come about? We had a couple of patients who actually told us, this is the first time I've actually felt hope. This is the first time I've been treated like a human in a hospital, which was just shocking to me, that that they had not experienced a hopeful environment. So we just, we just started calling ourselves that based on patient feedback. Well, and that's great feedback and I think a testament to the work that you and your team are doing. And I think it's also interesting perspective that you share. Um, I think a lot of people 
sort of from the outside may look at hospitals and, and sort of see them as places where uh, patients receive care, but they may not always recognize or be aware of the fact that uh, the staff that's providing this care uh, sometimes is doing so under challenging circumstances just because, as you said, some of the patients are coming in with some real underlying issues or some behavioral issues or might be disruptive, and that can, that can make the task of the frontline provider a little bit more difficult. And so I appreciate uh, you and your team really hanging in there and, and giving Thank that hope to patients. Thank you. Um, out of that environment, from what I understand and the recognition that many of these patients, uh, due to their medical needs, as you said, Tammy, would be hospitalized for an extended stay, and that presented an opportunity to try to get them into recovery. And so, Tammy, your clinical staff uh, worked with behavioral health professionals who specialize in addiction treatment. And, and you folks have banded together to help these patients try to break this cycle of addiction. And I guess that's where the peer recovery support program comes in, uh, which involves uh, both trained clinicians and, and other folks, as well as people in recovery themselves who are trained to help patients seeking to break away from substance abuse. So, Aaron, if you could, as the leader of the peer recovery support program, explain the steps and the processes of this voluntary program that's available to help these people free themselves from addiction. And these are people that are on on the hope floor on, on 5 West. Sure. So our peer recovery specialists, they go through the training that's done by the Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Services to become eligible to participate. So they're people in recovery who've received a special training. And we, we started working with the Department of Behavioral Health and Psychiatry at Carilion several months before the 5 West issue came to our attention. And and we were approached by a psychiatrist and a clinician who were very involved on the floor. And they asked us, you know, if we could um, collaborate with them and the, the nursing staff to meet the patients where they were. Because um, I think one of the things that we see that's most powerful with the peers is that they're able to go into a room and build instant rapport with um, patients who are really struggling because they've been there and done that and lived it. And so we're finding that the peers are really able to reiterate a lot of what the recommendations are from the clinical staff, um, but also are able to reach them about, you know, what's going to happen after they leave the hospital, what services, you know, are they going to follow through with, and how can we support them in not only staying the entire six weeks to receive their medical care, but also continuing the path to recovery. And I think that's a really powerful thing because we're looking at this hospital stay for a lot of patients that, you know, had no intention of going to rehab or seeking substance use help as an initiator for long-term care. And I think that that's a role that the peers play is walking them through those steps during the hospitalization and post-hospitalization. And some of those steps, if I understand correctly, include things like individual and group therapy, music therapy, uh, I guess there's a spiritual component as well, journaling, some other things. Can you talk about some of the elements of the program that people in this program go through? Sure. So everyone um, in this program, they work with a psychiatrist, an addiction certified psychiatrist for medication management. They work with a licensed clinical social worker who runs groups three times per week. And then they also have three sessions per week with a peer recovery specialist who comes and meets them in their in their hospital room and, and works with them on a whole number of things. And the opportunities for um, therapy in, in all of those situations are, are really high because we're able to 
one, engage them while they're there, but then introduce them to new skills and um, new ways of expressing themselves and, and things that are going to last them for a lifetime. And at this point, how many folks have successfully gone through this program? Tammy, I think that's probably a better question for you. I don't have those numbers in front of me, but it's upwards of 30. Um, And this is since July. We've had probably 75 people pass through the program. Some stay in the program, some uh, complete it, some leave before their treatment is completed. But, you know, and that's tough for the staff, too, because they feel like somehow they have failed if someone doesn't complete And so what we try, what I try to help them understand is sometimes we're just planting seeds. We're giving them tools that they didn't have before they came to us. And we just never know what seeds are going to fall on, you know, fertile ground. And, uh, you know, we won't always be around for the harvest. But, you know, that's our, that's our job right now is just to make sure that we're getting them as much information and support and help as we can while we have them. Um, just to follow up on that, I think that that, you know, there's about 30 patients that have completed the pathway or the HOPE pathway that we're talking about. But I think that, you know, one of the things that the peer recovery specialists do is that, you know, stay in contact with a lot of patients that don't even necessarily complete. Maybe they got moved to another floor or they left against medical advice um, because of it was really hard for them to stay in, in a hospital for that period of time. But one of our goals is to, regardless of whether someone completes the pathway, the program or not on Five West, we're able to still maintain those connections with them so that we can, when they're maybe when they're ready to get, get help or when they're ready to um, start that recovery process, we can then, you know, help them right then and there. Well, it sounds like a difference have, have been made in, in a lot of lives. And uh, Tammy, I like the the sort of planting metaphor that you used, um, because I think that is sort of evocative of what we're talking about here, which is sort of new life springing forth right. and, and germinating right. through this program. So I think that's a great work that you're both doing. Great. At the outset of this conversation, I alluded to the fact that this work uh, – has had benefits for patients as well as hospital staff. Tammy, I wonder if you, and you mentioned it as well, about some of the challenges that uh, this patient population um, had posed for uh, some longtime staff that you'd worked with. Are there any numbers or statistics that bear out in addition to the benefit for patients, the benefits that you've seen in terms of uh, staff satisfaction and retention? Absolutely, absolutely. We started this program in July of last year, and so I compiled a retention rate, turnover rate, and vacancy rate for last fiscal year and for this fiscal year up to this point. So last year, we finished out at a retention rate of of staff of 69.85%. This year, we are at 100% this far. The turnover rate has gone from 31.7% to 4.72%, and our vacancy rate went from 13.7% to 4.09%. So we have, the staff feel supported. They feel like they're helping. They're not just in there giving medicines and, you know, they don't have anything to work with. They they connect with patients now. They they feel success. They feel like they're really doing something. And I think that the, the retention rate at 100% 
for a med surge floor is with this population is phenomenal. Well, I think those numbers are hard to argue with, so congratulations on those Thank results. You. Before we go, I would like to close with a question that we ask our guests on the VHHA Patients Come First podcast, and it's one that we borrow from a popular BBC program. And the question is this, if you were stranded on a deserted island, what one book and one album would you take with you? And we will spot you a copy of the religious text of your choice, so Bible or otherwise. So other than that preferred religious text, what one book and one album would you take with you to keep yourself occupied? And Aaron, we'll start with you. So the book that I would take is The Wounded Healer by Henry Nowen. And I, I take that because um, right now I've read it like three times most recently. But that's one of my favorite books. And then an album. Do you want both? Yes, please. Okay. Um, an album that I would take. Honestly, I have like a mix, uh, like an inspirational song mix playlist. So it would be hard for me. I want to burn a copy of that. <laughs> A mixtape is a perfectly acceptable response, as long as it's album length. Yeah. Is there is there one song in particular that that, that would be on that that mixtape or that playlist? Probably the fighter song by Katy Perry. All right, and Tammy, what about you? Well, I would probably, being a person of faith. Like like everybody else, most everybody, I would I would take the Bible, and uh, musically I would take a copy of anything by Hillsong uh, Worship out of Australia. But my favorite song is also from Hillsong, and it's called Healer. And that song has a has just a real powerful message for me. So that's what I would like. Okay. Well, you both, one chose a book about healing and one chose a song about healing. So I'm sensing a consistent theme here. <laughs> well, listen, I do want to thank you again for making some time to be with us today. And that is going to do it for this episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. So thanks again. Thank you thank so you. much. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. You can listen to this episode and previous episodes of the podcast through SoundCloud, Blueberry, or online at www.vhha.com. You can also send us questions, comments, feedback, or suggestions about future podcast episode guests using the email account pcfpodcast at vhha.com. Again, that address is pcfpodcast at vhha.com. We also encourage you to connect with us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. You can contact us through Twitter using the hashtag PatientsComeFirst, and our Twitter account is at VirginiaHHA. Thank you. Thank you.